introduce you actually what's the best uh, way to... uh i'm chris i'm the founder of purple which is a kind of a, a project tool or flexible project boards for teams for design and creative teams um that's what i do for my full-time startup on the side i'm a indie game developer i guess uh, uh, kitten cannon and working on some other stuff now but i'm generally interested in vr and ar as well as for like productivity purposes so Take out from that what you would like. Founder of purple purple dot some purple dot li. Purple dot li. Purple dot li. All right. Uh, okay. I'm going to see what comes out of my mouth in three, two, one. You are now listening to Enter VR, the podcast on all things virtual reality. I'm Chris Miranda, your host, and today I'm joined by Chris Gallegos or Gale- Gallegos. Galello. Galello. <laughs> We're <laughs> off to right. a great start. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and Chris is the founder of Purple.li, and uh, it's a flexible project board, uh, I believe. And you're also the creator of Kitten Cannon um, and some other really cool VR projects. You're the embodiment of um, the cool ass indie game VR developer that is living life his way, doing shit and having fun. Dude, how are you? Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, I'm excited. This is going to be a fun conversation. Cool. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, things have been good. Um, uh, it's been busy for the past few months. So we, uh, I just learned, I, you know, I've been just getting into the VR um, the arena this this past year. Um, so we released Kitten Cannon. Me and my friend, we we built Kitten Cannon over the course of one month, and we released it at the end of October. Um, and then after that, I've gone to three different hackathons in the VR AR space over the past two months. So uh, it's been busy. Yeah. It's, all right. So before we talk about VR, I, I, I'm just sort of curious about what is your other project? What is Purple.li? Totally. So Purple.li is what I do full time, and it's you know my my biggest passion right now. Uh, I used to be a product manager, designer, and I always found that the process is just totally a mess in terms of where people are keeping their files and how people are presenting their design process and keeping everything organized. And so what we're building is these flexible project boards that allow you to kind of add in lists of things, documents, all of your sketch prototypes and envision prototypes, that kind of stuff. So it's for designers, you know, UX world, not necessarily specific to VR, but obviously if you're planning a VR project, you can use it. Um, so it's it's a great planning board. Um, you know, if you think of a design studio in the real world, uh, we're making essentially the digital version of that. Okay, perfect. Now I, now I have a place to go because you're thinking about design um, in this very in this 2D flat interface, um, and it seems like you've developed an expertise in it. Um, you know how how do you translate that knowledge, that expertise to you know volumetric UI in VR? Um, you know how's how has that looked like for you? That process totally. So there's a few different levels of that. Um, it's been really interesting as a designer to to jump into the world of VR and start learning about what is the same and what is different. So a lot of fundamental human nature things, those are the same. 
Um, you know, one example is with onboarding. Uh, if you're familiar with onboarding tooltips within a website, it, there's all these little callouts that say, "Hey, learn about this feature," and "Hey, learn about this feature." Um, and uh, you know, I, I've done multiple usability studies when I was working at Microsoft and Imager around those types of things. So I've seen that space, and I've seen how difficult it can be in the uh, 2D world. And then when I was implementing Kitten Cannon, we had to teach users about how to control uh, the Cannon and pick up kittens, that kind of stuff. And what we found is that the tooltips, that we had the same number of difficulties with the tooltips as in the 2D arena. Um, so there are things that are very well translate across 2D to 3D. But then again, um, one of the things that I'm most worried about right now in terms of VR and AR becoming a, a very big widespread industry is that it's just so hard to ramp up as a designer. If you don't, if you aren't familiar with coding, if you're not familiar with game development, right now you just have to you have to learn Unity and, and Unreal. And obviously, Unity has their VR editor, and there, there are things that are making it easier. Um, but if if you're a 2D designer, it's it's a little bit difficult right now. You really have to be passionate about it. You can't just explore it for fun on the side um, how how far away are we from a point at which I mean, I mean how far away is the the wordpress of vr you know coming so that it, people who are um more design oriented can jump on you know uh creating uh with virtual reality yeah, I suspect that it's going to happen this year. Uh, we're already seeing some tools coming out. Gravity Sketch just released, and um, you know, even Tilt Brushes. I, I've done wireframing and prototyping in Tilt, in tilt Brush. I planned Kitten Cannon in Tilt Brush. Uh, really? Oh yeah. What was that like? All right. So so and tell me uh, as a comparison. You know, how was Tilt Brush compared to the traditional way method of doing it? Um, you know, it's so when I plan out designs for the 2D world, it's very easy for me to just sketch things on my notebook and then go into, you know, do my wireframing by hand and then go into sketch and, and create um, create the actual designs. When it comes to a 3D experience, I'm not an artist. I'm, I'm very bad at, at actually, like, 3D drawing. And so for me, it's very, very difficult to plan out a VR experience by drawing it out. I need to be in the VR world. I need to be able to move around and move my body around and, and draw things out. Um, so, uh, yeah, basically, Tilt Brush was really, really helpful for me to just get my ideas out quickly. Mm -hmm. Do you see yourself using it more in the future as a, as a wireframing tool? You know what? Uh, and and what other uses have you found from it? You know. Yeah, like kind of unconventional uses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really, I'm really curious about that. Yeah, totally. So. Um, I don't, so I've, I have done it, I have used it for wireframing, just actually 2D wireframing um, in, in VR. I, I've used it for that once, and it was helpful, but the problem is that it's so difficult to do it because it's not made for wireframing. Uh, you can't move around individual wireframes, you, you can't reorder things, that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I see hope for that, and that's something that I'm going to be exploring personally, uh, but uh, it's uh, it's still not there's, there's not enough functionality there for you from the perspective of actually planning out a game that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I think in terms of unconventional uses, it's really mainly I've tried out wireframing in it for you know as I've been designing purple and building purple, um, been doing I've done some wireframing in it, and then the other piece of it is um, I guess designing out games. So I've uh, kind of planned out. Kitten Cannon in it, as well as uh, this kind of obstacle course game, which I never ended up pursuing. But just being able to create the environment, create, figure out what the obstacles are, it's so much harder. Um, I have my notebook somewhere here, but it's uh, my sketches in my notebook are so much worse and so much less creative than in, than in Tilt Brush. Really? I, I'm wondering about your, your sort of designer background. Um, what is the consensus or the overall, um, yeah, general idea uh, for VR when you speak to other designers? Um, you know, what do they think about what's happening with uh, VR these days? Is it is it a fad? Is it, um, is it does it have potential? I mean, wh you know, where do where do the opinions lie? Generally. Uh if people have tried VR, they're 
they're hooked and very interested in terms of the people I've spoken to. And if they're if they're not so interested in VR, they just haven't tried it yet. And and that's kind of uh, we all know it's one of the fundamental problems of the growth of VR is that you have to have access to this these high end uh, headsets. So uh, I mean, personally for me. Uh, last year, I was really heavily encouraged. Hey, you should look into VR and get into that. I'm like, ah, it doesn't. It looks cool, but like, whatever. And then I went to an upload, uh, a party at Upload, where I, that was the first time I actually tried out VR. And Tilt Brush was the first thing that I, I did. And again, I'm a terrible artist, but when I first got into Tilt Brush, I immediately started drawing this 3D character from a game that I had played as a kid. Uh, it was just so natural for me, and this immediately on the spot, I was like, "Okay, I'm going to buy one of these. I'm going to develop something in it, and then I'm I know that this is going to be part of the future. N- maybe not VR, but definitely between VR and AR, one of these is going to be fundamental to all of all of us as humans in, in computing. So um, it, I really do find that the people who haven't, you know, aren't so excited are generally people who just haven't played with the right experiences. Yeah, no, it, it perhaps it that's that is you know that's 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 always fascinating to see you know the how people get converted because um, I was a I was a doubter once, <laughs> uh, I and 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 so you know, it, but it yeah, but it it is interesting how it does it does come down to that like what headset did you try and what did you try in the headset and uh, you know I know people who tried VR. And the experiences didn't speak to them, so therefore VR in general isn't isn't ready for them. So, yeah, I, yeah. And on that on that note, uh, I have found that uh, if I different people, you know, everybody has different backgrounds and different passions, and some experiences just don't interest them and don't excite them. But then when you do find the experience that matches their background and their passions, then they're like, okay, now I get it, and now I love this. Yeah. Where do you see VR fitting into your life? Like how, because it's, it's, you know, and this is a question I was having, a, a, a conversation I was having with the SVVR guys, and we were like, it, it, they brought up this really, really interesting um, dilemma that, they're, we're, that we're, they're wrestling with, and now I'm wrestling with it, is where does VR fit into my life? Because it's not my phone, it's not my video game console, it's not my computer, but it can be all of those at the same time, and <laughs> I, I don't know, and it's, it's like, you know... Yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think uh, long term, the way I think about it is VR is entertainment and AR is productivity and and augmenting the things that we do already. Um, and so when I say entertainment, it's not necessarily going to be the same as TV or video games or whatever. I think it's going to you know, end up being its own hobby, being its own set of activities. And you kind of have to be in this mind. You can't be like in a lazy mindset when you use VR, or at least, you know, more active VR experiences. You kind of have to be ready to go. Um, but I do see it as something where when you do it, you're going to be jumping in and you're taking on this new identity within this new world. And so it's a very, it's a heavy experience. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, um, you know, right now I'm going to, I'm definitely interested in, you know, how can we make people productive within VR? But I would say AR was at the same level, the hardware was at the same level as VR right now. I would probably lean towards AR from the perspective of productivity and getting things done. Yeah, I haven't really put much thought into um, the productivity angle of VR versus AR there. Um, mm-hmm. And now that you've mentioned it, shit, you're right. Like <laughs> AR is much better than VR for productivity. I'm not gonna lie. Um, assuming, I mean, here's of course, a clear example. It's networked. I, I would want you know you want uh, the, by default a networked experience with where everybody in the same room is want, is seeing the same things with their AR headsets. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But yeah, what were you gonna say? So here's a good example of where VR is maybe not as good as for productivity. So when I was building Kit and Canon. Um, you know, when you start off with a new project, you have an empty world, and then you're putting stuff into the world, and you keep putting your headset on and taking it off and putting it back on. Um, and what I found was that I was, I kept entering this stale white room whenever I put the headset on to test something, and it just felt very like sterile and not very friendly and everything. And 
there was something missing. Where, whereas if I was building that in AR, I would still be in the same environment that I was in, you know, physically. The same people around me, my my friends were around me, um, and the trinkets and toys that were around the office, I could still see those, that kind of stuff. So what I did in VR when I was building Kitten Cannon was I put in a bunch of things from the asset store. So I, I put in like a giant dinosaur in front of me. I put in a model airplane. I put in a whale around me. Um, and what those did was those were replicating the experience of having office toys around me. It was the same thing where in an office, you nobody wants to work in cubicles that have no character to it. You want to be in a place that gives you that emotion um, and so I ended up putting th- those things in to help compensate for the fact that VR is a really different world. Um, and what's funny is that I ended up keeping, let's see, um, the whale is still in the game, the <laughs> airplane is still in the game. I, I just thought they were funny, so I left them in. Yeah, I want to I wanna talk to you about Kitten Cannon, but before we go there, um, mm-hmm. I, I want to ask you about, so now you've, now if you've tickled a, a, a pickle inside my brain where I want to know uh, sort of have a, a more side-by-side comparison be- between AR and VR mm-hmm. um, I'll give you productivity I'll give you productivity AR wins um, because having uh, known from experience I, I, I spent two months um, going to work and I would, I would spend a good amount of my day uh, with a DK2 on my face working inside a virtual desktop and I would edit podcasts and I would send emails and I'd do all the stuff inside virtual desktop um, and I realized that although I was significantly more productive because I had these horse blinders on um, the whole experience was really shitty and I would much rather have glasses <laughs> um, and then but 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 Here's another field where I'm, I, I wonder where your thoughts lie. The play, com, human communication, you know, which one do you think will be better um, or predominant in human communication? Like, like social spaces, like VR is, is it has, it's, there's something there with these VR social spaces. But I Absolutely. wonder if, if AR could do just as well with holograms. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I guess what you have to think about is the benefits of AR is that you have people in your physical space as opposed to you're both meeting in a mutually separate location, a separate world. Um, I've never really thought about that. It's interesting. I guess off the top of my head, I would think both are going to be good for different purposes. So, like, there is this demand for, for second life and... You know, if you think about the reddits of the internet, uh, places where people to go to not be at home, feel like they're actually, you know, in the common town square of the internet, I think that will be VR. Whereas if you think about Facebook, if you think about Skype and just Hangouts and Messenger, the people that, you know, you want to be with in the real world, I guess then you would want those people within AR. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I, I do think, I guess off the top of my head, I would think both both will be interesting. But I'll that's something that I'll have to watch and, and see. All right, let me throw one more at you. What about yeah. AR and VR in the realm of storytelling? If, you know, where, it, you know, when, if you had the ability to experience our, our generation's version of Les Miserables or Beavis and Butthead, you know, whatever mm-hmm. whatever you like on the spectrum, like, you know, would you rather experience that in VR or would you rather experience that in AR? You know, how do you, which which medium will be yeah. better or prominent in storytelling? That's a, I don't know, I don't know. I would say in the short term, VR for for quite a long time, even even as AR hardware catches up or whatever, uh, and that's just because you're able to craft a different world and you feel like you're entering a different world within within VR. Uh, now with AR you could imagine I'm I'm thinking about Henry right now and uh. you know Henry's wonderful cuz you're in this tree house and you you know you see the hedgehog in front of you with all the other balloons and whatnot. Um, and you could imagine that on your desk within AR like that would be interesting but it wouldn't necessarily be the same because you're bringing Henry into your world you're not being transported into another world. The only interesting thing that would excite me, but I think is going to take a long time to develop, is um, 
kind of interactive storytelling or dynamic storytelling. Uh, I, I think this is a little bit farther into the future, but having characters around you in your real world um, and they're interacting and the story changes based on how you interact with them as well as based on your, the environment that is mapped out around you. Um, so I, I think that's like a, a very long-term thing. For the, for the time being, I think VR is going to be the winner because it's just having a set stage and having one environment. You don't need to think about other variables. It's just much easier to develop stories for that. Yeah. Um, Nintendo is sitting on a gold mine, uh, in my mind, because um, this, is, this is what Pokemon with AR glasses in 2020 should be. They should be artificial intelligence injected holograms that have this <laughs> right. memory that you know like they'll remember you and they'll recognize you and you'll have pikachu running around your house and you have and you got to feed them uh you know with all these coins and you only get coins by walking around your neighborhood and you're like god damn it i gotta walk all the time <laughs> to get these yeah. goddamn coins nintendo you, you you're still trying to make people fit in 2020 so I, I, you know i yeah, yeah you're right i mean absolutely like and i think that's the next wave of you know sort of um merging of technologies where where a more mature ar industry and vr industry will merge with um ai and what sorts yeah. of projects and services that uh, that will uh bring up is truly exciting but i want to talk about kitten cannon because sure. what were you thinking how <laughs> <laughs> how does someone come up with a kitten cannon type game Please enlighten me, sir. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> so uh, I think it was September. Me and my friend, we were still brand new to VR, and I had dabbled around in Unity just a bit. But we were like, okay, we really need to like commit to something if we're gonna if we're gonna make any progress here. So we set ourselves a one month deadline. So end of October, we're gonna ship something. We don't know what it is. So um, as I was mentioning earlier, there was this obstacle game that I was thinking about doing. But then I was also just thinking about are there other games that are existing out there that we could kind of port to VR? Just, you know, because we need to scope it down and everything. Um, and I thought Kitten Cannon would be a funny game to, to uh, put into VR. I forget where the idea exactly came from. But, I mean, it's a game I used to play, you know, in high school while I'm supposed to be paying attention in class, that kind of stuff. So... Um, Let's see. Yeah, we basically started with the premise of let's replicate Kitten Cannon, um, but the the medium is is very different between a flash game where it's side scrolling and you're you know the camera is going down the range as the kitten keeps going from obstacle to obstacle, um, whereas now your camera is you know you're in, in one place, and so we were like, how do we implement this? So we came up with a workaround, but we ultimately decided, uh, or we came up with some kind of interesting novel UI that would account for that. But we ultimately decided, just for simplicity's sake, we're going to focus it just on the core mechanics of tanking a kitten, putting it into a cannon, and firing it at some enemies. Um, so that was that was fundamentally where the idea, kind of how how that started. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. All right, so. Um... So and so how it works is basically you got these kittens and you're like t putting them in the cannon and you got all is there um you know is it going to be do you have plans to make it more than just the demo you know and by the way how was it received um you know tell me more about the totally. process of publishing it and all that stuff Yeah yeah so um yeah basically you take a kitten put it into a cannon and then you fire it at horses that are flying around you so they're flying horses and you're on some space planet you're in space um you know it's just all sorts of what the hell um but basically yeah i think um when we released it it, it certainly is a it's a basic game um so i when i tell people kind of about the game i generally say it's a five to ten minute experience it's free go download it it's fun for those five to ten minutes and then maybe play it with friends but it's not going to be like a raw data or something so when we released it overall i mean we've had nine you know thumbs up on steam so far everybody's reviewed it as positive no no downvotes or anything um and it's it's really fun to watch the youtube reviews come in as well um Overall, all of them are, are positive. And I think part of that is because we released it for free. I mean, if we wanted to charge $5 for this, um, you know, people would uh, give a negative review. And, and it's just, it, I, would, I would agree, it's not a $5 experience, it's a free experience. 
So uh, overall, the reception has been very positive from the community. And uh, I mean, it's so much fun to watch people sweating and laughing and, and just having their mind blown when they enter your experience. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful experience to, That's to see. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I want to go there. I want to ask you about what it has been the value to you um, besides monetary um, from yeah. having released something for free um, and having people out there play. Um, yeah, I mean, again, no, no financial incentive or anything like that for us. It's we just wanted to. Uh, it, it was it was a forcing function for us to learn how to build a game, completely from scratch, end to end. It's a simple game, but you got to scope it if you're going to do a month. And um, and we totally met our goals there. Um, we we released. So our goal was to re release it um, by the end of October, and I think on Halloween. Uh, 7 p.m. on Halloween is when we released it. Wow. Uh, so, so we just made it. And it's also just been super helpful to have that experience of um, having to tackle challenges as we're developing a game. You learn, you, you have these problems, you learn from it. Um, so I feel like I'm better, better able to have deep conversations about VR and the challenge of VR as a result of going through the experience of actually building something. Whereas before I was just kind of a passive spectator, playing games, taking notes, that kind of stuff. But um, having to, to tackle UX challenges within a game is, is very fun. So based on what you've learned, you know, what, would you dif what would you do different uh, next time around? Um, you mean if I were to if I were to go from scratch again, like mm -hmm. I didn't know Unity and I was just starting from scratch? Yep, yep. Yeah, good question. Um, <laughs> you know, me and me and Sasha, so Sasha is my partner in crime on this. We we built this together. Um, we were actually very very happy with how the month went. Um, maybe one thing that would have been helpful so we did create kind of a rough game design document and we actually used purple to plan out the project uh, which was very helpful um, and I think if we had planned things out just a little bit more that would have been helpful um, maybe using some of the new prototyping tools that have been coming out even doing a little bit more prototyping um, but overall in terms of our experience, I think we did the right things and it all lined up. Like, I think if we if we had any major areas where we're like, oh, we wish we really would have done something different here, we wouldn't have hit our one-month deadline because there was just so much that we had to build. So the way we did it was uh, we first kind of came up with a rough, loose idea. Um, we then just watched tutorial after tutorial, tutorial after tutorial on YouTube. So I, I would just sit there like in bed at 2x speed watching tutorials and I wouldn't actually implement the tutorials. I would just follow along. And the point was to be able to understand what are the scope of things that you could do within Unity. And then when, I, when it came time to actually implementing things, I would go back to those tutorials because I knew which tutorials were good and, and which tutorials I needed and then actually follow along with those and implement those. So that was a very helpful thing. And I'm, I'm now a huge believer of the 2x speed feature on YouTube now. Holy shit, dude. <laughs> what? Oh, it's great. What? I had no idea. What? Oh, I'm yeah. going to do that now. Yeah, just, I mean, I've for the past month, I've been learning Blender because I'm like, I, I was not the Blender person on this project. I, I was terrible at it. And so I've just been watching 2x speed over and over and over all these tutorials. And I'm so much better now, so quickly. Whoa. <laughs> it's the closest. Yes. I feel like it's the closest we've become to downloading information like the Matrix. Yeah, what? Just Dude, oh Watch my things. Don't worry about implementing until you need it. Life on yeah. Earth will never be the same for me <laughs> from now on. This is so, wow. Damn, this is great. This is great. I needed something like that. I've been, awesome. you know, I've been struggling with uh, my attention span because, holy fuck, there's just, you know, the internet is just this crazy Cthulhu-like creatures always trying to fuck you and holding you by every limb and doesn't let you go. It's And, 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 and then when you want to get shit done, it's like the internet's like, no, no, you don't. You don't want to get shit done. And I'm like, no, internet, calm down. I got to pay fucking yeah. rent. And, yeah. so, and so and so I'm really glad that, I, that, that's, uh, that that's a thing, that I can do that because I... You know, I, some video tutorials. I'm like, oh, god damn it, get to the good part. What, what do you? Yeah, totally. Especially when you're in the mindset of you want to find a tutorial to implement, you you got to be a lot more selective about which tutorial you watch. Whereas if you're going into it with the mindset of I'm just here to listen and learn, 
you're so much it, it I mean it takes so much faster so you just stop worrying about that Netflix selection process you know where you're just like sitting at the YouTube search results and just like uh uh and it's it's a lot easier it, yeah oh god this is man this made my week this made my week this is great oh watch by the end of next week you will be releasing a game yeah i can't wait it's gonna be uh okay so uh, any other lessons that you picked up along the way uh yeah let's see um oh oh by the way which were your favorite youtube channels that you discovered uh which had the better video tutorials for your purposes uh fused ed vr or fused vr i forget how to pronounce it exactly but uh that was super helpful um the guy who runs that, he does a phenomenal job of walking you through doing so many different types of experiences from scratch. Um, so that that was great. Um, in terms of other things, it, yeah, I think it was just a random, you know, searching and then um, finding tutorials that were helpful, but I didn't necessarily, like, attach to a specific set of tutorials, that kind of stuff. So let me ask you this: What's what's personally motivating you to to be in VR, to be you know pushing the boundary? It's just knowing that VR and AR are going to allow us to do so many more things and be so much more productive in the future. Like I just get so excited about that possibility, and so the faster I can learn about this space and you know start participating and and have these kinds of fun conversations the better it is because um, yeah i just really enjoy creating so uh it's it's the promise it's the promise it you know the promise is not there yet the hardware needs to improve the experiences need to get better but we're, we're totally getting there yeah what is what are your biggest concerns with the technology at this point do you have any apprehensions concerns about what's uh i, I mean maybe not the technology but the people in the or surrounding the technology you know what are your thoughts on that i actually have to say that the vr community uh i haven't been so involved in the ar specific community but the vr community has been so so wonderful like that's a big reason that i've also been motivated i guess is just being surrounded by people who are very positive because I think we're all coming into this world, and we all know that nobody's an expert in this world. Everybody's a learner. So it's just a fun time where we're all in the same playing field. So everybody's very supportive and, and friendly and everything if you reach out for help kind of stuff. So um, I, yeah, I found that the, the community is, uh, you know, even though there are, uh, you know, I follow the r slash Vive and r slash Oculus, and there's always all sorts of debates and flame wars there, that kind of stuff. That's just the internet being the internet. It's always going to happen. Um, I think from a creator's perspective, the people who are in, in the VR space are, are just very positive. So. Yeah, no, it's... What uh, was the other question? Um, well, so, so in terms of the technology, do you have any apprehensions um, or concerns about the technology itself? Hmm. From a hardware perspective, or from like a implications of the technology, whatever comes to mind. Anything? Yeah. Um, I would say I don't have any unique apprehensions. I mean, if you listen listen to podcast after podcast and read article after article, there's the same standard, you know, issues of privacy is going to be an issue with VR and AR, and the hardware is not there yet. That kind of stuff. Um, I, I mean, I personally. Yeah, I've been thinking less about the the social implications. I guess harassment is something that I'm personally a little bit passionate about. Um, so I, I wouldn't say I have unique views on harassment and how we solve it, but uh, it is something that I'm following along with and participating in that discussion. Yeah, no, they are, um, it is it, it is a very fascinating conversation to have. It, perhaps we can go there for a second and see where sure. it takes us. Um, yeah, I don't... Uh, I'm not an expert. I don't know. Um, most of the time, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. But but I I, I I I'm trying to learn and I'm trying to figure out like you know what it is that it'll take um, to you know allow the most people to have the most amount of fun in VR. Yeah, and your I think your attitude is super healthy. Of like as long as as long as people who are creating things in VR and AR are thinking about. At least acknowledging that, okay, I don't know much about how to solve harassment within my experience. And I I don't know much, but I am open to learning. Like, that's a huge step forward. 
uh, by the way. So, yeah. oh, and, and it, I think it's it, we, we it, it's a it's a necessary thing to to constantly poke at and think about, um, you know, because yeah, something's always gonna come up. Human beings, we are uh, notoriously good at finding ways to fuck around with each other, fuck with each other. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, and is the obligation on the developer? Is the obligation on the society? Who's responsible mm-hmm. for, uh, at the end of the day, for like you know negative incidents happening in VR? That's a really tough question because so I used to work um, in the accessibility space um, when I worked at Microsoft. I, I was trying to make sure that blind users could use Office Online, and so that it's the same question came up within the accessibility space as this: whose responsibility is it to make sure that when you develop a new website, when you develop a new product, it's accessible by all? Um, and so it's the same thing. Whose whose responsibility is it um, for for harassment dealing with that? Um, I do believe that uh, it's very important to have a little bit of tolerance for uh, encouraging developers to get into this, the VR space and start playing around and start experimenting that kind of stuff. I am okay with developers who are brand new to the space. I would prefer that they they create an experience then shy away from the experience because they're all worried about all sorts of these social implications of what might happen with their experience. Once you actually release something though as a developer, I do think that is the point where there is a little bit more of a responsibility upon you to think about okay, if there are any negative social consequences of the game that I released, I do need to address them. And so, for example, uh, for, for example, the Quiver, um, the, the developers of Quiver, uh, they, you know, there was a there was a medium post that came out that was just, you know, there was harassment going on within Quiver, and they responded. They released a feature to solve to solve that the next day, and that was just such a breath of fresh air for the whole community that. That harassment is not going to be something that's just swept under the rug and ignored. It's really taking a spotlight within the VR world. Yeah. Um, whereas I feel like in other tech realms, you know, harassment and diversity and inclusion has taken a little bit of a backseat sometimes. So, um, yeah, I do think that uh, the way a developer responds to any sort of complaints is critical. Let me... Um Get, let me ask you a dumb question, but I think it's a fundamental question. Um, w- why is diversity and inclusion important for this industry in the first place? Good question. So VR is the first time we're having such so much more intimate experiences. Our body is now finally present on the Internet. Um, you know, Before it was just our thoughts were present on the Internet through, through text, uh, maybe through voice. But having... Having bodies, you know, it's such a fundamental part of how we perceive other people around us, how we judge other people around us. It's it's body language, it's it's motion, that kind of stuff. And so, because it's gonna because it's so, um, you know, innate in us that that that's how we judge everyone. We we do need to make sure that um, we encourage good behavior, basically. Um, if you're in an experience and, and, you know, I've seen sexual gestures being done towards other players and it, it really, I mean, even though your brain kind of knows that that's not really happening in your space, the same consequences of sexual harassment do start seeping in. And I felt it personally myself. Um, I think it's important if you're a developer, like try to understand what it's like to, to be harassed. And I, I have been harassed in VR, um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a very deep subject. What do you What do you think about what tools are uh, about the tools that we have at our disposal um, from a designer's point of view? You know, what can be yeah. done? You know, what are the best practices? What are the you know um, you know how do how is this resolved in the most you know frictionless mm-hmm. way? Or maybe you want friction? I don't know. What do you, What are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I think from a designer's, uh, you mean like a VR experience designer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like yeah. Um, the ghosting features or right. uh, mute features, things like that, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the good thing is that there is precedence for how to solve these problems. And maybe not solve, but how to mitigate these problems. In at least, a, you know, it's a first step. Um, that's out there. And people have written about how they've developed those kinds of features. Um, I haven't read this yet, but High Fidelity, they just implemented some sort of anti-harassment features and it was uh, a team of three women who actually implemented that or maybe it was sorry it was Altspace um, they did that so there's plenty of literature out there um, and starting more and more uh, that being said it kind of goes back to that whole subject of nobody's an expert in the VR world and um, so that's a positive thing but sometimes that's also a downside because uh, you know, it means that for new designers, there's just a lot more information that they have to parse on their own and, and evaluate from themselves as to whether or not that's going to work. Um, but I do hope that um, the fact that there's no established, like, here is how to fix harassment means that we're still in this fun phase of let's experiment with different solutions and let's try out different things to, uh, to cultivate good behavior. What solution is not a solution in your mind? You know, what is something out there that someone could implement? You'd be like, no, no, that's not going <laughs> You know, I would actually, so it's difficult for me because I've experienced a little bit of harassment in VR. And so I've seen, you know, some things that could be helpful. But my experience is going to be different from everybody else's experience when it comes to harassment. And so I think the more things there are, the more tools there are for you to, uh, to avoid harassment, the better ultimately. And I I would not call out any single developer. I would not call out any single feature for being, you know, not helpful. Because at the end of the day, who am I to know whether a feature is going to be helpful or not? It's such a deep, intimate experience. Mm -hmm. uh, I can only evaluate the features that I have used. I, I have an idea for a company, okay? Here, here, okay. here, here's yeah. a crazy idea. It's, yeah. it's um, I'm going to find the nastiest, the most twisted high school kids. And I'm going to have them be your bodyguards in VR. <laughs> so, so you're going to run, you're going to go around in VR and you're going to be surrounded by like eight fucking kids, you know, all over the world. Just nastiest, twisted, you know, spend all their life on 4chan, you know, those kind of kids. No. And whenever someone tries to harass you, you send, you release the crack and you unleash the, the hell hands on them. Think about it. People um, would pay me money for this business, this service. I, it would be, it would be a thing. I could, and I could start it right now. You know. Okay. What's funny is that you you just asked me, are there any anti harassment tools that are not good? And I just said, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. You know, tell people that no, they shouldn't implement their ideas. I, I guess that there is a fundamental place. There's a line drawn in the sand here. I would not combat harassment with more harassment. Okay. All right. I'm glad. I'm glad we we found we found, there was a dialectic here i'm glad we got yeah. there good good yeah yeah you know one interesting thing that um so i was at the high fidelity offices last night jessica outlaw spoke on uh you know psychology and physical the physical body and how that translates into your mind within vr very good talk but we actually had a really interesting discussion there were, i think probably about 25 people there in the office and there was a really interesting discussion starting around this whole subject of how do we um, reward people for good behavior and uh, what are the consequences for negative behavior? And something that, an insight that I had personally that I had never really experienced before or thought of before is that when you enter VR, especially if you, are, if you see yourself in a mirror and within VR you're a different person, phys physically you're a different person, um, this goes back to the Proteus effect where you, when you see yourself as physically a different person, then you act differently. And so you kind of embody this new identity. So every time you jump into VR, you are a new person. And the morals and the behaviors that you have in the real world generally do translate, but sometimes don't. And so an idea that I came up with last night was like, well, it'd be really cool if, you know, for onboarding experiences within VR, you know, the, the game might tell you, oh, go and pick up this item now, and then, you know, press this button and, and do those kinds of, you know, sequence of actions. It'd be really cool if um, in the course of learning how to use the objects you need to use and, and, use and play the game, you're actually doing good deeds. Mm. Like, 
I don't know how this. I don't know how an actual manifestation of this would be, but it'd be really cool if, in the course of learning how to use, you know, use whatever things that you're using for the game, you're like helping someone, helping an old person cross the street or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, because an example was brought up yesterday of like, for people who think about doing five good deeds a day, you know, that's a it's a very common and awesome thing that people like focus on. How do I make sure that I live my life such that I'm always doing five good deeds a day? They generally don't stop at five. It, it generally just consumes their identity and they're always doing good deeds. So they may actually do seven or 10 or 15 throughout the day. Um, and so if you start off someone's identity from scratch by walking them through how to do good deeds and encouraging that as behavior in order to succeed, um, then consequences and rewards are still good later on, but you're already starting to shape their identity. You may not even need those consequences and rewards later on. Yeah. So I thought that was a really interesting takeaway from, from uh, kind of the discussion that we had yesterday. No, that sounds, that sounds extremely, um, you know, I, I, it seems to be that there is something there that needs to be researched more because, um, you know, and the idea that I just came up to my head would be like an experience where <clears throat> it's, uh, you know, anyone who, or, uh, over the age of 18 that goes into this experience uh, shows up as a baby and anyone under the age of 18 is an adult. And uh, and so it's this reversal of roles where, you know, you get these tasks where as a baby, you got to figure out, you got to convince all, all these adults like, hey, I'm a baby, dude. Can you help me cross the street? <laughs> <You know? laughs> or, hey, I'm a, I'm a baby, dude. Can you help me pay my taxes in VR? Like stuff like that. Like And so uh, and, and, and it's this reward of like, you know, tr- uh, you know, in a way, it would be interesting to fig- like play with that sort of flip of roles and, and how that might, uh, de- you know give empathy to people or not um but i really yeah, am yeah, i'm really i'm interested in you know but universally who gets to define what's good you know at the end of the day like are you is it maybe i'm going too deep or yeah you know i don't know if i should go there but that's yeah, a fun conversation <laughs> yeah but do you think but then but then you know if you're trying to enforce good deeds or you're trying to uh, incentivize good deeds how do we define what good is and isn't um you know fundamentally what is it that um you know we're we're trying to program people because here we are in the 21st century Mm -hmm. basically talking about programming people yeah that's true yeah yeah um so how do we program uh, them with an objective view of what good and what isn't good that's a really interesting, fundamental, I mean, philosophical question of how do we know what is good? Um, and I think part of that is, uh, as a developer, uh, again, so I haven't, I haven't built and released any social experiences, but um, if I were to, I would definitely just make sure to listen to the community and listen to any complaints. I do find that people um, who are harassed, um, a lot of them don't speak up. But when they do, you know, you need to listen to that because that means that there's it's it's that's just one out of many cases that may be happening. Um, whereas people who are doing the harassment uh, are generally not the ones who are complaining. So it's it makes it very easy to kind of focus your efforts just by listening to the complaints that you get and any of the the negative stories that you hear because hopefully those will be you know if if you help the people who are complaining. Hopefully, you're actually taking a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that being said, yeah, again, this goes so much deeper into a philosophical level of like, okay, what if the community becomes a mob and then the mob starts complaining? You know, and that really gets to a Reddit. You know, the, the biggest problem that Reddit has right now is uh, is mob rule, that kind of stuff, and um, that that's a discussion for for other people. No, it's it it, it yeah, and it is basically a rabbit hole to go into because you know as a developer you could that that seems like a very you know if if you if you're creating an experience and and what you just prescribed seems like a very sensible approach it seems like yeah you listen to the community listen to the complaints mm-hmm. and then and you resolve it as you go right um but some people will be criticized because they'll say well you know and I, that's just the nature of the beast. That's just the nature of being human. Um, you know, we're always going to be critical of people who didn't, who weren't able to predict the future. Because you know, how can you be proactive about this? You know, it's it's yeah. it's not easy to be proactive. 
and you're yeah. gonna make mistakes going you know and you're just gonna make mistakes it's just you know if if you make decisions trying to be proactive there's just gonna be mistakes it's, it's part of yeah. it you can't for the yeah. future um, yeah i mean between uh you know in developing products in my past career um, at Microsoft. I worked at Imager well. It's, you know, the social image platform. And so we would get all sorts of complaints and, you know, some were, some were very good and some were also funny to read or just kind of a little bit aggravating. And um, in those cases, you, you do need to just think about, okay, how do we, sometimes you, you, you need to ignore the community and think about how can we build our product in such a way that we are a role model for the industry? Um, and I generally find that when people think from that perspective, it forces them to put on their best mind, their best self, um, and, and the right things. Yeah, that's, man, yeah, that's really, thank you for that life pro tip as well. Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Chris, um, so we're bringing, we're going to start bringing things down to a close. Do you have any final comments or thoughts in your mind that you want to let out before we do that? Uh, let's see. Uh, I don't think so. Awesome. This is a really interesting, fun discussion. Didn't it, expect it, us to get on the, the, the harassment space, and it's again, I always love it. Yeah, no, I, uh, I like, I like, uh, I like making people feel like we're about to go off the rails, but we don't. It's just that edge. You know? It's a suspense. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, what a, um, you know, what are what kind of projects can people look forward to in the future from you? Is there anything VR related that you know, content wise, that you know, we should keep an eye out from you or? You know, yeah, totally. Are you going yeah. into stealth mode? What's what's happening? <laughs> Fill us in. So, so um, one of the hackathons that I went to, we built this uh, octopus game where you're an octopus and you're throwing ink at people and you're running around this beach town and you just throw ink at people and it's it's all fun and dandy. It's it's ridiculous. Um, and um, so basically, we started that at the hackathon. The team is continuing, and we're you know I, I can't I can't say a release date right now because we really don't know. Um, but it's something that we're working on. Again, that'll be that'll definitely be a little bit more complex than what we, what we did for Kit and Canon. It won't be a full blown like you know multiple hour game that kind of stuff. Um, but I do think I'm re- I am really excited for the story that we're putting together, the game mechanics that we have in there. Uh, so I'm doing that, and then um, you know I just started developing for the Hololens, uh, and uh, we built this kind of little construction app, me and my team, and. Uh, we'll see if we continue it. We're definitely going to continue developing it out just a little bit more. Uh, still have to decide if if that's going to be if that's going to be a thing that we actually do pursue and release something there. But um, you know, for the time being, still building stuff. Always will be building stuff. Um, and again, the productivity space is, a, is another thing that I'm uh, starting to plan things out. Nice. There, so, so how can yeah. people stay in touch and shout if if they'd like to? Totally. So, um, if if you know you want to reach out to me, especially actually one thing is that I do find that there's a lot of people who are like remotely interested in VR or remotely interested in developing VR, but have no coding experience, no Unity experience, that kind of stuff. Again, I was there just like a few months ago. Uh, reach out to me. My email is chris at purple.li. Uh, very easy. Um, I'm at c galello on Twitter. C G A L L E L L O. My DMs are open. I'm happy to be, uh, you know, hopefully a helpful resource for anybody who wants to get into the, the, this industry. Because I guess I think we all, you know, we've all been there, and we all need to help everybody out as much as possible. So, yeah, um, Chris, I think I've pretty much conclusively concluded that you are a scholar and gentleman of virtual reality, and I'd like <laughs> to thank you for your time and thank you for coming on the show. Oh, gosh. Thank you so much. I, uh, this is a fun conversation. I appreciate it. All right. And bam. Don't, don't hang up. I'm going to hit the pause or stop button on the